Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We're going to pick up in verse 9, make our way through verse 21. I've titled this message, Gospel Character. Gospel Character. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come to You in Jesus' name, and we come boldly before the throne of grace. Not because of our own merit or of anything that we have done to deserve it, but because of what Jesus has done. Because of what He accomplished at the cross. What He secured for us who have put our trust in Him. And so we come with praise. We come with adoration. We come with gratitude. And we bless Your holy name. And we thank You, God, for what You're doing in Your church here. And we thank You for the time of praise that we have already shared in together as a family. And I pray that we would continue on with the spirit of worship as we consider Your Word. So we're asking that Your Holy Spirit would speak to all of us, Lord, in this room. That You would minister to our hearts and our minds. That we would worship You with our intellect and that we would worship You with our hearts. And that we would worship You with our hands. That we would ultimately serve You and bless You, God, and obey You. And so we thank You for this time. We pray Your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, allow me to take us back to the beginning. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I told you that's the the key verse for this book. And it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so this is a gospel masterpiece, this book. And I have have mentioned that many times over and I will continue to do so. It's not a, a corrective letter. Paul's not trying to set things straight. He's simply putting forth this doctrinal masterpiece about the gospel. And so he starts this thing out by talking about that very thing. It's all about the gospel. And Paul was saved, changed by the gospel. He embraced the gospel, lived for it, shared it, and ultimately died for it. And so that's what we see in the book of Romans is this unpacking, if you will, this unfolding of the gospel message. So in chapters 1 through 3, you'll recall he talked about man's plight, man's condition outside of Christ, that we were helplessly and hopelessly lost dead in our trespass and sin, in need of a Savior. But then in chapters 4 and 5, he gets into the good news and talks about how that salvation has come in the person of Jesus. And through faith in Him, we are declared righteous. We are justified. It happens instantaneously. God makes us right. God makes us just. And then chapters 6 and 7, it begins to talk about the journey in Christ as we are growing in Christ's likeness. We are delivered from sin's penalty. We are delivered from sin's power. And one day we'll be delivered from sin's presence. And we look forward to that day. We long for that day. But we're on a journey here in this world in Christ, growing more and more into His image. And then chapter 8 talks about all the blessings that are ours through the Spirit. We have been adopted not just justified, not just made right in God's eyes, but brought into His family and made sons and daughters of God. And then chapters 9 through 11 really outline God's sovereignty in all of this. This is all God's doing. It's all from Him and through Him and ultimately back to Him for the praise of His glorious grace. And then in chapter 12 it turns and Paul says, therefore in light of all of that, in light of all that we have 
uncovered here, we should lay our lives down as living sacrifices unto the Lord, that we should live for Him. No longer living for ourselves or for the lusts of the flesh or for the world, but living for God. Laying our lives down daily and surrendering ourselves to Him in service. And so that's the context of where we are at right now. Last week we talked a little bit about the gifts that God gives His church so that we can be in His service. And today we're going to talk about character. Gospel character. So in light of all that God has done and in light of what He has called us to be, He has called us to carry ourselves a certain way. We should produce fruit, the fruit of gospel character. If you understand the gospel, if you understand your condition outside of Christ and what God has done for us in the person of Christ, and we are now new in Him, if anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation, behold, Old things have passed. All things are new. If you know that to be true of yourself, it causes you, one, to be changed naturally from the inside out by the Spirit and to begin to look more and more like Christ, but it also causes you to want to be more like Christ. It causes us to want to strive for Christ-likeness and to have gospel character. And so you're going to hear me use that word uh, over and over throughout this message. Gospel character. Now this is not a be good or be better message for people who don't know Christ. And I want to make that very clear. If you are outside of Jesus and you are still standing before God accountable for your own sin, then you can do this list perfectly and that does not make you any more right in God's eyes. And so you must know that. And so for a person to think that they can do these things it either, one, damns them to despair because we can't do these things perfectly, or it damns you to pride, thinking that somehow you have elevated yourself to a place of achievement, uh, self-attainment, right? And so uh, we must be very clear on that. There's only one way that you can be right in God's eyes, and that is by putting your trust in Jesus Christ, believing on Him as your Savior, the one who died for your sin and rose again from the grave, bowing your knee to Him, as Lord. And as believers, these are the kinds of things that we're striving for. We want, if we say that God is our Father, we want there to be a little bit of family resemblance. Amen? We want to look something like Him. We want to look like Jesus. And so uh, Paul gives us a wonderful list here of things that we ought to be striving for. And again, this is not to earn God's favor as a Christian. We can live our lives like that. We know we're saved by grace. But somehow we begin to get trapped into this system of now I have to do all of these things for God to look favorably upon me even as a Christian. And that too is a a hopeless trap we don't want to find ourselves in. We are saved by grace. We are kept by grace. And I think of Paul when he spoke to the Galatians. He said, "Who who has fooled you? Who has bewitched you? You began in the Spirit and now you think you're going to be perfected by works? And so that's not the case. We have to recognize that we're, we're saved by grace. God graciously preserves us by grace. We were not deserving then. We're not deserving now. But because of what God has done for us, these things begin to happen naturally in our lives as we are connected to the vine. We, the branches, produce fruit. And we have a desire for godliness. So Paul gives us a wonderful list here of things that we ought to be striving towards. We ought to see happening in our lives And so I believe that this list could be broken up into two sections. Gospel character in relation to other believers. 
gospel character and, to, and relation to other believers, and then gospel character in relation to difficult people. Gospel character in relation to difficult people. Now, in the text, it actually uses the language, our enemies. And you know, there may be some folks in here, we may have some enemies here and there, but I think by and large, I don't, I don't have people that I consider like this is my enemy and you know, day in and day out I'm having to go to, to battle with them. But we all have difficult people. We might be that difficult person. We might need to, to become aware of that. But uh, we have difficult people in the church and outside the church. So it's kind of a broad thing. But we have uh, gospel character in relation to other believers. That's where we'll start. So, pick up in verse 9. Verse 9, it says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. So no surprise at the top of the list is love. And we are to have genuine and sincere love. Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy. And this is an interesting word, hypocrisy there, and it literally means on a stage or to pretend. And in classical Greek theater, oftentimes you would have um, an actor who would play multiple roles, and they might have two different masks that they wear. And so um, that was called a hypocrite. And so now, uh, in modern vernacular, we understand that to be someone who is two-faced, Someone who pretends to be something than who they really are. We would call that a hypocrite. And Paul says that we are not to love like that. We are to have genuine, sincere love for everyone, especially in the church. I heard a, uh, a quote the other day, and I can't remember who it came from, but I know uh, Miss Debbie Walden shared it with, the, uh, with the, the women's ministry and the women's Bible study, and it's... Um, Fondness might not be in our power, but kindness is. Fondness might not be in our power, but kindness is. And that may not be a perfect quote, but I, I heard that and I thought, man, that's powerful. That is profound. And that is the truth. And so as believers in Jesus who are filled with the Spirit and have received the love of God, we are to give that out. We are to be sincere and genuine in our love for one another. We're told that we're to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good. Hate what is evil. You know, there are things that God hates. You might be surprised to hear that. Uh, we live in a world and a culture that only wants to talk about the love of God, and I get that. But it's important to recognize that there are things that God hates. He has to. If He's truly a God of love, then He must be a God of hate. He must hate that which is wrong, that which is unjust, that which is wicked. And we are to hate evil too. And honestly, that kind of completes the equation. It's, it's one thing to love righteousness, uh, but when you hate that which is wicked too, it really drives you forward in, in personal holiness. Uh, when, when you have an aversion to ungodly things, not just a love for godly things, but a, an aversion to ungodly things. And the problem is, so often, we still have a love for evil too. We love God we love that which is good. We cling to that which is good. Uh, but we don't hate evil. In fact, sometimes we're, we're entertained by evil things, ungodly things, or we pursue ungodly things. And we need to be praying, God, give me not only a love for you and a love for the things that you love, but a hatred for that which you hate, a holy hatred. 
that we may cling to what is good. Literally, cling, it means glue together. Inseparable. We are glued to that which is good. And that is a mark of a believer. That is something that we are to strive for. Verse 10, it says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. So this being kindly affectionate, this is an interesting word. It's actually a combination of two Greek words for love, and it's only used here in Romans 12.10. And so it's phileo, the Greek word for friendship, and then storge, which is the Greek word for uh, familial love. And so it's a special affection shared between members of God's family. People born again, divinely adopted, and serving the same Heavenly Father. It's pretty interesting. It's, a, it's an interesting word. It's a, a, a friendship love and a family love joined together. And that's what ought to be happening in the body of Christ. We are a family. We're a family united in Christ. It runs deeper than blood. We are connected because of the blood of Christ. Amen? But we're also friends. We're friends in, in this place. And we enjoy and we desire to be around each other. You know, the thing about your natural family is you can't really pick them and Sometimes we, we have to be loving and gracious, but we might not like them so much. And in the church, I have found so often that it's both. You know that you're a family in Christ, but there's also this special affection, this bond that does exist. And I'm so blessed by that. You know, sometimes my soul is absolutely lifted when I'm around you guys and we're engaging one-on-one and spending time together. And that's a special gift from the Lord. It's each other. It's being together. And so, as I pointed out last week, it says here that we're to be kindly affectionate to one another. There's that phrase again. I mentioned it last week. It's used 47 times in the New Testament uh, when talking about Christian conduct one to another. And so here we see that we're to be kindly affectionate towards one another. And we're going to see that one another pop up again in this text. So I just want you to notice that. It's really significant. And we're told that in honor, we're to give preference to one another. So we are looking out for the needs of other people above our own. That is a very different way of living than that of the world. Um, That's something that I think early on in my Christian walk I began to realize. I came to notice that I spent an awful lot of time looking out for myself. And there are ways in which we can get busy serving other people and looking out for the interest of others. You know, treatment that may come at a personal cost or inconvenience. And so whether it costs you sleep, whether you have to get out of bed early in the morning to go help somebody when you would rather be sleeping in, or it could cost you emotional energy that you really don't have, you feel zapped already, you just need some alone time, and and now someone's calling upon you because they need encouragement or help. Um, financial cost. Uh, There's all kinds of ways in which we find ourselves needing to give sacrificially for the good of other people. For the good of other people. And we're called to do that. So we look out not only for our own interests and needs, but also for the interest of others. That's body life. That's what it's like being kindly affectionate and living one for another. Verse 11. Verse 11 says that we are not lagging in diligence fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And so diligence here, this word diligence, it it literally is speed, haste, intensity to make a very full effort. 
And fervent in spirit, it is to boil or to burn. Oftentimes you'll hear, hear people say things like, man, that guy or that, that girl, she's on fire for the Lord, right? And that's something that we often hear. And to be fervent in spirit. We know the word spirit oftentimes. I think most commonly you may hear it um, referred to, this is kind of goofy, I hate to even say it, but like cheerleaders, they have spirit, right? Well, they're exuberant. They're excited. They're happy about what's going on. And Christians are to be that way. We are to be excited in spirit. We're to be uh, fervent in spirit, on fire. We're to be diligent, making a full effort with intensity to serve the Lord. To serve the Lord. That's what he says. And so making a full and passionate effort towards serving God. I mean, I've known many Christians and do know many Christians. They don't have that. And, and believe me, we all go through seasons. And it's, it's cyclical with, in the Lord. You know, we go up and down so often. But, you know, I've just... I've probably told this story before, but I, I knew a guy in Tennessee I used to work with. And um, he was just kind of a scary guy, always very grumpy. And I would do my best just to love on the guy. Uh, Thornburg was his name. And so uh, I'd say, good morning, Thornburg. How you doing, buddy? And his response would usually be something like, I wish I was dead. And it's like, geez, all right, man. Okay, well, you know, love you, buddy. And so Christians can be like that sometimes. And that's not to be. We are to be a people of all people that are marked by joy. We are on fire, diligently, passionately serving the Lord excited about giving back to God when we consider all that God has done for us. How could we do anything less? Well, verse 12, told that we are to be rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. And I think that these three things go together in a very special way. When considering trials and, and tribulation... We are patient. We endure under difficulty. That, that word uh, patience there, it's hupomone. And it literally means to bear up underneath the weight of it. We don't try to get out from underneath it. We don't run away. We don't circumvent it. We let it have its effect. God uses things, weighty things, difficult things, to build character in us. And we dance the hupomone. We don't run away from it, okay? We don't try to get out from underneath it. And we rejoice in hope. We rejoice in hope. Hope for the Christian is not wishful thinking. It's a confident expectation. It's not a, I'm hoping, thinking maybe the Lord's going to come through. It's no, I have this confident expectation because I know in whom I have believed. And He is able. He is faithful. And so we rejoice in that. We as Christians, we truly have hope. So when we are in trials, when we are in tribulation, and we are being crushed underneath the weight of that, we have rejoicing. We have an ability to rejoice because we hope in the Lord. Amen? And then we continue steadfastly in prayer. We pray. God gives us that wonderful gift that we can cry out to Him in trial and tribulation and to know that He cares. He told us that we can cast our care upon Him because He cares for us. This is our confidence. This is our hope. And so we pray to God. We thank God. We worship God. We praise Him. We cry out for strength. We cry out for help. We cry out for endurance. That we would pass the test. That we would grow. That 
whatever it is that He has happening in your life right now would have the full effect that God intended it to have. Sometimes certain things that are going on in our lives, we wish them away. The very thing that God is trying to use to sanctify us, we wish it away. But we have to be careful about that because God knows the medicine that we need. And so oftentimes, uh, it's our desire not to take the medicine, but we have to uh, just accept what comes our way, bear up underneath the weight of it by the Spirit of God, rejoice in hope, and pray to Him. Verse 13. He says that we are to distribute to the needs of the saints, to be given to hospitality. So this interesting word here for distributing, it's koinonio, and you may have heard the word koinonia, which uh, we get the word fellowship from. And it's, it's a very full word, whether it's uh, partnership or uh, fellowship, as I said, or communion, community. Uh, there's so many of these words that come out of that word koinonia, and koinonio is closely related to that, and that is to share. So we share as a community of believers. We share with each other as needs arise. The body takes care of itself. Bottom line, the body takes care of itself. Now we certainly want to reach out and be a blessing to our community and, and around the world and to serve the needs that we can in different capacities, but we also need to take care of each other. And so that's what it's all about. So we, corporately, collectively, are to be contributing to the needs of the saints, to care for one another. And so there's a number of ways in which we can do this, but it, it takes being relational. Uh, you have to kind of know folks. You kind of have to know the needs in order to be able to give to the needs. And so that, there's a breakdown in this when we really don't have community, when you don't have people within the body that you know and love and that you're open and vulnerable with and vice versa. You don't know what the needs are. How can you give to the needs of the saints if you don't know what the needs are? And so this necessitates true community, true family. But then we can also give to the needs of the saints abroad. There are organizations out there that are doing awesome works for the kingdom, and we can give to those organizations, but I think especially missions, missions and missionaries. That is so critical. We have brothers and sisters that are serving Jesus in very radical ways all around the world and they are suffering greatly and they are in dire poverty and they have great needs. And we can give to the needs of those saints, those brothers and sisters. We have, we have much here in the West. We have great resources at our disposal and we, above all people, are responsible to be giving to the needs of the saints. And then we're to be given to hospitality. Given to hospitality, it literally means love to strangers. Love to strangers or warmth shown to strangers. And so the idea is we know no strangers. As soon as someone comes in this building, we embrace them right away. We love on them. We get to know them. We show them around. We encourage them. You know, I have to say, it's a challenge to do that. For people in general, most people, we're not, I think most people are not extroverts. We're not outgoing. And so... It's hard for us to engage newcomers when they come in the building, but I can tell you this, it's way harder for a newcomer to engage us when they come in because at least we're comfortable here. We know each other. This is our environment. This is our natural surrounding. And so we have to be very diligent about loving folks, newcomers, when they come through that door. 
We are to know no strangers. We are to make them feel welcome right away. And I've been so blessed to hear a number of people as of late tell me that very thing. They came here and they instantly felt loved and encouraged and cared for. And so I just want to encourage you saints to keep it up. Keep up the good work. Keep doing that. But then, you know, for the people who have this gift of hospitality, and I do believe it to be a spiritual gift, they're just wired this way. They love to cook for people. They love to greet and welcome people, especially into their homes. And it's a very unique and special gift. And I think our church is blessed with a number of people who have this gift. And so our hospitality ministry is something that we're really working on right now. And so if you have a gift in that area, we would love to plug you in. And so I think it, it really encompasses a number of things. If you're a greeter, if you like to set up and break down, if you like to decorate, if you like to cook, if you like to clean, I mean, that's hospitality right there. So uh, I want to encourage you folks to be using that gift. And we want to be a church that is marked by hospitality. And that was so important in the culture that Paul was writing to and in many places around the world when you would travel, you would be absolutely dependent upon the hospitality of the locals. I mean, absolutely in need of it. And it, it's an honor for someone to take you into their home. Oftentimes when somebody extended hospitality to you, they were absolutely now in charge of even protecting you. When you came under their, their roof to find shelter in their home, you became a member of that family in a sense and you were even protected as such. And so hospitality is something that ought to flow from the Christian church. Alright, verse 14. He says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This overlaps a little bit with the next section that we're going to be getting into, but just suffice it to say that we are to bless, that is to speak well of, to praise. When we talk about blessing God, that's what we're doing. We're praising Him. We're speaking well of Him, of what He has done, what He's going to do, who He is. So to speak well of. And who is it that we are to speak well of as those with gospel character? Those who persecute us. Now, this is hard. This is hard stuff here, let me tell you. Because to persecute, it means to aggressively chase, earnestly pursue, or hunt down. So suffice it to say, it's not someone who just cuts you off in traffic and then they go on their way. It doesn't count so much to be like, bless you, bless you, go in the name of the Lord. I mean, when someone is out to get you, when someone is chasing you down, when they're making it their aim to try to make life hard on you, you are to bless that person. Now in the South, we have a subtle way of getting around that. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. And that doesn't mean what people think it means. And that's not the kind of blessing that we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be, you know, trying to, I would say, pray for them. And that is what we're supposed to do, ultimately, pray for them. And the Bible talks about that very thing. Pray for those who, who uh, persecute you, those who hurt you. Um, and so the person who, it says, bless and do not curse. And so the idea of curse is to vilify, to loathe, detest, revile, hate. Uh, there's no room for that in gospel character. We're not allowed to do that. We're to bless that person. And that takes the Holy Spirit. That's all I, I, all I can say. I mean, that, that, that is not, I think, possible for the natural man. And so I think many of us in here, we have to cry out for God's help on this one. 
I mean, we've got to cry out for God's help on all of this. But that is especially challenging. Verse 15. <clears throat> it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. <clears throat> Excuse me. So to rejoice, to be happy for and to celebrate with people who are happy and celebrating. Seems kind of like a given, but sometimes it's a, it's a challenge, especially when somebody is experiencing something that we wish we were experiencing and, and we're not. It might be hard for us to celebrate and rejoice with them, but it's not an option. We're, we are to be a people who are to be glad for other people when they're blessed. Glad for other people when they are receiving something worth celebrating over, and we're to rejoice with them. You know, there's no room for envy or jealousy in the body of Christ. And I've talked about this before. You know, jealousy, it's wishing that you had something that somebody else has. Envy is wishing that they didn't have it. And so no room for that. We are to rejoice with those who rejoice, to be happy for them and to celebrate with them. But we're also to weep with those who weep, to have compassion and empathy for people who are hurting and broken. Sometimes I think we can rejoice when people are weeping. Sometimes I think it's human nature, especially if we say, oh, they brought it on themselves. Like that makes it any better. Uh, honestly, it makes it worse when someone brought it on themselves. So we need to have a broken heart for people who are, who are hurting and who are weeping. We need to have compassion and empathy for them. Um, I remember early on in my Christian walk, um, I was on this construction project at this church. And so I was working on a, on a Christian uh, school that, that we were building, but on the other side of the church, it was a large church, they were having a funeral, and it was a devastating situation. The, the dad died at a young age. He was an elder in the church. He had a large family, a lot of children. It was very sudden, unexpected. And so uh, they needed someone to come over and hold the door and to be a, a usher. And so, for whatever reason, they called me, and I'm dressed in total construction clothes. And I was just so happy to not be at work. I was standing at the front door just grinning ear to ear. And people are coming through the door, and they're weeping, and they're embracing each other. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me, wipe that smile off your face, you idiot. These people are, like, broken down and weeping. And so that's what, that's what it amounts to, guys. We have to be considerate. Sometimes we have to stop and actually pay attention to the hurt that's going on around us and stop and try to have empathy and compassion for that person and to weep with them, to embrace and mourn with them. It takes a little bit of uh, getting our focus off ourselves and on what's happening around us. Well, verse 16, and this kind of closes this first section here. It says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. So as being of the same mind, this is impartiality. Impartiality toward everyone in the church. Uh, we're not to just hang out with certain people to the neglect of others. We're not to esteem certain people as greater and therefore worthy of our attention and others not. And James talks about that very thing. The temptation there was to give preference to the wealthy people that were coming in the church and then discounting the homeless folks that might come in. And so he said, do not ever do that. Do not show partiality like that. God is not partial. He's not a respecter of men. And so we cannot show partiality like that. We're to be of the same mind. 
We're not to set our mind on high things. That's not to be arrogant or unapproachable. We want to be approachable. We want to be loving. We want to be gracious. We want to be kind to anyone and everyone who walks through those doors or out in the community or wherever God has planted you. We're told that we're to associate with the humble. We're to walk amongst the lowly. And Jesus was uh, so, so great at this. In fact, He was despised by the religious leaders for that very thing because of the kind of people that Jesus associated with, the kind of people that Jesus broke bread with, the kind of people that He ministered to. The religious elite looked down on Him. That's the very thing we're not to do, what the religious elite did, the thing that they criticized Jesus for. We're to be like Christ we're to walk amongst, live amongst, love the lowly, the least of these. And then it says, do not be wise in your own opinion. Never, never conceited. Never uh, self-exaltation. Self-aggrandizement. Self-congratulatory. You know, none of that. There's no room for that. We are to be impartial. We are to set our minds not on high things. We're to associate with the humble. We're to be wise in our own estimation. Wise in our, excuse me, not wise, sorry. Not wise in our own estimation or opinion. And so those are markers of the believer. That's gospel character amongst believers in the church, in the body of Christ. But now Paul's going to transition and he's going to talk about gospel character in relation to difficult people, I would say unbelievers probably especially that might hate or persecute Christians, but I would say that this certainly applies to any difficult people in our lives. And, and I'm being serious, guys. I made that comment earlier. Um, we know that there are difficult people in the world. There are difficult people around us. It's not a far-fetched idea to think that we might be that difficult person. So we have to consider that and pray and uh, really look in the mirror a little bit. But it says in verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. So there are no paybacks in the, in the Christian church, in the body of believers. We don't receive evil and then pay it back, get people back. You know, Jesus talked about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You've heard it said, and he says, I say to you, turn the other cheek. What he's ultimately saying is, eye for an eye in the Old Testament was to limit retribution. You know, the way we function so often is, if you get me, I'm going to get you back twice as hard. And so the Old Testament wasn't demanding retribution, it was limiting it. If someone punches you in the eye, you know, you can't chop their head off. You know, you can punch them back in the eye if you want to. Um, it sounds kind of crazy. That's another study altogether. But anyways, um, not in the church. Not allowed to punch people back. Um, so anyways, uh, but Jesus said that we're not to be about retribution. I think there's a place for defending ourselves and there's a place for defending the weak to be sure. But we're not to be retaliatory. And so we don't repay evil for evil. And then it, it says that we're to have regard for good things in the sight of all men. That is to say that we have a testimony of values. We have a system of values that we hold to, that we esteem as important, and that we stand by, and that we don't apologize for it, and the world knows it. That is our testimony outside, inside and outside the church. We stand for something. 
and we hold to it and we don't waver and we don't compromise and we don't dance around it and we don't apologize for it. We don't want to be arrogant or obnoxious about it. But we stand for something. So we have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Do you have a testimony like that? Verse 18, it says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So first off, if it is possible, we have to recognize that it's not always possible. It's not always possible to be at peace with all men. Try as we may, some people just won't have it. They just won't have it. But as much as depends on you, as Paul says, we are to make every single effort on our part to be peaceable, to live at peace with all men. And honestly, sometimes this requires you to humble yourself, especially if it's not your fault. I'm not saying that you always do this, but there is a time and a place to simply humble yourself and say, I'm sorry if that's what it takes to, to bring peace. It takes wisdom in that situation. I wouldn't do that in every situation. But there have been times where I knew that there was hurt on both sides. And at the end of the day, all I could do was apologize for, for what I had done and said, I just want you in my life. I, just, I love you and I desire to have a relationship with you. And so I am so sorry. And I didn't ask for or expect uh, an apology and I didn't point out how they should apologize. I altogether dropped that. And there, there's a time and a place for that. But we are to live peaceably with all men. This does not mean that we agree with all men. You've got to understand that. This day and age, that's what the world would tell us. You have to co-sign on everything that everyone else believes. You have to give complete and total validity to it. You have to acknowledge it as absolutely right, just as what you believe is absolutely right. We do not have to do that. It does not mean that we agree with everything or endorse everything out there, but we do our best to try to live peaceably with people who don't believe like we believe. That is something that we as Christians are to do, and unfortunately there's a lot of Christians out there that don't live like that, especially on Facebook. Just from what I hear, I, you know, I hear that there's a lot of animosity and antagonism, and especially when it comes to political stuff and, and things like that, and there's just no room for that. We're to be at peace with all men, and we can stand for what we believe in, but we cannot be obnoxious or antagonistic about it. And this happens also in the, in the uh, theological realm with pastors and Bible students. I mean, we can really get at each other's throats and talk all kinds of sanctified trash about other uh, people who don't believe like we believe, and there's just no room for that. And so we're to be at peace with all men. Verse 19 says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We're not to avenge ourselves. It's not our place to set the record straight if we have been done wrong. If we've been wronged in any way, we're told here rather to give place to wrath. That means set it aside, hand it over, entrust it to God. God is the only righteous and just judge, and He will make all things right in His time. And so we have to trust that to Him. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. He will repay, and He will pay with true justice. And that's a fearful thing. Honestly, the kind of justice that God is going to serve, we don't really want to wish that on people. 
we don't really want to find comfort in that. We want to be praying that even for our enemies, God would have mercy, that their eyes would be opened, and that there would not be that holy retribution that will come. Because God is perfectly holy, and He is perfectly good, and He is perfectly loving. Therefore, He is a God of wrath, and He will judge, and justice will be served in fullness, in full measure, in full measure. And so, it's not our place. It's not our place to judge. It's not our place to condemn. It's not our place to hand down retribution. It's God's. Therefore, verse 20, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. So since retribution is ultimately in God's hands, we're to serve our enemies. We're to bless them. We're to feed them if they're hungry. We're to give them drink if they're thirsty. I'll just say this. There's good practical wisdom here. I have had in times a challenge, um, struggle in my heart towards certain people. And then I began to think, Lord, what do I do? And, and as I considered it, um, I thought, you know, I'm going to bless that person. I'm going to do something kind to them. If I do something kind to you, don't, uh, don't read into that, okay? But uh, when I did do that, even when I made up in my heart that I was going to do that, it, it was like it lifted. God lifted that off of me. It's amazing. It's supernatural. And so we're to be ones who entrust to God's hand, we give place to wrath, and we bless those people. The, the heaping coals on their head, uh, John MacArthur says this, that this refers to an ancient Egyptian custom in which a person who wanted to show public contrition carried a pan of burning coals on his head. The coals represented the burning pain of his shame and guilt. When believers lovingly help their enemies, it should bring shame to such people for their hate and animosity. Now, you would hope that would be the outcome, and there's no guarantee there. Um, sometimes when we try to do acts of kindness for people who hate us, it only makes them hate us worse or get more angry, or they do not accept the act of kindness. They reject it. But uh, ultimately, um, you know, I will say this. A, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs says that. And I think that the point is very consistent there. That if you return kindness, then you're going to be uh, in a lot better uh, shape to, to see reconciliation happen or to see peace happen. When I was uh, first here as the, the youth pastor and we went down to a youth conference in Southern California, you know, I come from a town of like 14,000 people. And so it was a small town in Hillbilly, Tennessee, Smoky Mountains, and now I'm here, I'm in a 15-passenger van full of teenagers in San Bernardino on a 12-lane highway, and I'm trying to follow this, this guy, one of the parents, and he kind of gets away from me, so I panic a little bit, and I try to stay behind him while I cut someone off. Well, as all of you know, you don't cut people off in Southern California. That might be the end of it for you. And so this guy got so mad at me, and he flew up around us and cut me off, but he actually bumped into us. And so his bumper hit our uh, front bumper. And so I'm like, great. So now we got to get over. So now I'm trying to merge across this highway and everyone's honking at me. And now like the anxiety is through the roof. And so we get over into a little neighborhood and the guy jumps out of his car like he's ready to fight. And so I just get out and said, I'm sorry, bro. 
Um, I'm not from around here. I'm trying to follow this guy over here. And it was an accident. And it just de-escalated just like that. And then he's apologizing. And we were able to pray with the guy, give him a gospel track. And God blessed that. (laughs) And so, you know, that in that instance, praise God, it worked, you know. And so... um, that, that's gospel character. You know, we don't return evil for evil. Uh, we don't try to justify or defend ourselves as much as we try to bridge that gap and show love and understanding and kindness towards other people. And then verse 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, allowing wrongdoing to provoke you to wrongdoing. That is being overcome by evil. When you are hurt uh, and then you try to hurt back, that is being overcome by evil. We're not to do that. We are to overcome evil with good. So when wronged, we respond with good, thereby overcoming evil with good. That's what we are to do. And that's exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly what Jesus did. First Peter chapter 2, I'll close with this, verse 23. Who, when He was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges rightly, righteously, who himself bore our sin in his body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Jesus didn't revile back. He could have reviled back. Jesus was totally innocent on all counts. But when he was reviled, he did not return that. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He committed himself to the one who judges righteously. He gave place to wrath. And then he went all the way to the cross. He died a sinner's death. The only true, holy, and righteous one died a sinner's death, a criminal's death for the wicked, for the guilty, for me, for you. Jesus did that. And He bore our sin on His body on that tree that we, having died to sin, might now live for righteousness and by His stripes we're healed. By His stripes we are healed. Jesus is the ultimate example of all of this. Jesus is the ultimate example of sacrificial love. The One who entrusted Himself to the Father at every single point all the way to the point of death for us. For us. And so we have an example to follow. We have an example to follow in Jesus. And that's why I say this is gospel character, because it's born out of the gospel. When we recognize what Christ did for us, a wicked and undeserving people, Christ died for us so that we might live in Him and so that we would be healed by His stripes. If you're carrying this burden, the sin weight, the sin debt you came through the doors with today and it's crushing down on you, and you live with the fear of you don't know what's going to happen when this life is over, you know life is a vapor and tomorrow is not promised, you can be set free of that today. If you put your trust in Jesus, the One who bore your sin on that cross, if you put your trust in Him, you can be forgiven. You can be healed. You can be set free You can be saved from the wrath of God, saved from hell, and you can be brought into the family of God and made 
as a son or a daughter right now, today, in this place. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Look upon Him for salvation. Confess Him as Lord. Confess Him as the Son of God who died for the sins of the world and rose again from the grave. Put your trust in Him. Today is the day of salvation. And if we have any hope of living any of this out, it's going to flow out of our understanding of the Gospel. It's going to flow out of our having embraced the Gospel. Our having given ourselves to living for the Gospel. Amen? Father, we love You and we thank You for the Gospel message. We thank You that You secured so great a salvation for us because You love us, Lord. Because You're good. Because You would have us to be in a loving relationship with You and to enjoy all of the blessings and benefits that flow from Your kindness and Your graciousness. I pray for anyone in this room today who does not know that. Lord, we all want them to know that. You want them to know that love, to know that peace, to know that, to know that forgiveness, to know that freedom. And I pray that today, Lord, they would cry out to You in Jesus' name. They would put their trust in You for salvation. They would confess that they have sinned and that they have fallen short of Your glory and that they stand accountable for that but that You are good and loving and kind and You made a way for their sins to be punished on the cross on Jesus and for them to receive forgiveness in Christ. So we praise You, Lord. Help us to live lives like this. Help us to live out these things mentioned in Romans chapter 12. May we have gospel character. In Jesus' name, Amen.